0: John chapter seven, verses 40 through 52. When they heard these things, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Nicodemus who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Amen.
1: What an interesting thing that I was reminded of this week is how much each of us Desire to be liked. Now, if you were in an honest moment, in a humble moment, you'd admit that that is true. Everybody likes to be liked. All humans like to be liked. All humans want to be liked. Jesus was human. And in this sense, Jesus was not much different from us. As a human being, Jesus wanted to be liked. How do we know this? How do we know that Jesus wanted to be liked? Well, because he was very likable. He was warm. He was friendly. He was inviting. He was reassuring. I have no no doubt That when people gathered around Jesus, people enjoyed being around him. The disciples enjoyed his company. Jesus wanted people to like him. I want people to like me. Now, sometimes that may not seem to be the case. But it is, when I was in seminary, one of our professors would frequently tell us in class that anybody who goes into the ministry must have this self-conscious complex. You just want to be liked. And he would say that over and over and over again until we begin to believe him. Then I realized how true that is. We all want to be liked. Jesus wanted to be liked. We know this because he wasn't mean. He wasn't cantankerous. He wasn't difficult. He wasn't disrespectful. In fact, on the contrary, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 that Jesus went about doing good. He went about doing good. He didn't live his life trying to find ways of being difficult or or, or mean. Most of the time, he was actually quite popular. In fact, people followed him. Crowds followed him because they wanted to see what he would do. They wanted to hear what he would say. People sought Jesus out. Because they wanted Jesus to bless them. Beloved, mean is never the disposition of the Christian. Let me say that again. Mean is never the disposition of the Christian. For those who have faith in Christ... Those who have come to trust in Jesus, remember what Jesus said last time when we looked at our text, that if you believe in him, that out of you would flow rivers of living water. Namely, Holy Spirit would be in you and would flow from you, producing what? What? Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, producing love, joy, kindness, patience, goodness, and so on and so on. Reminding us that Christians should be friendly, pleasant, always willing to do good, hospitable. Speaking with grace. I know you're quiet. And I get quiet too because I'm always discouraged when I see or hear mean-spirited Christians. Especially to one another. Saying unkind and unloving things. Being impatient lacking grace, posting ungracious and mean comments on the internet. Beloved, you read the Gospels, and you see that Jesus was kind. He was good. And yet, as kind as he was, as loving and as gracious as he was, and as good as he was, this is not all of the story. Yes, it is most of the story. But as Ella Fitzgerald would say, and Bob, most of them don't even know who Ella Fitzgerald is, into each life a little rain must fall. And Jesus, this morning in John chapter 7, reminds us that into each Christian life, no matter how kind, no matter how gracious, no matter how good, some controversy. And some division must fall. In a world that values tolerance over truth, beloved, doing right and saying godly things at times will result in division and disagreement. This ought not to be the Christian's disposition. The Christian, like Jesus, ought to be going about doing good. Ought to be going about seeking to be good. To be kind and loving and gracious. But in a world that doesn't value godliness, being good and gracious and kind, and godly, like with Jesus, at times can result in disagreement and division. The Word of God teaches us, doesn't it, in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, that we are to do all we can to live at peace with everyone. That's who we are. That's who Christ is, that we ought to do everything within our power to live at peace with everyone. And no one, no one understood this better than our Lord himself. And yet, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Don't assume that I came to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Listen, beloved. Jesus did not court controversy. That's what we do. All over the internet. Our day is not full until we got into it with somebody. Jesus did not court controversy. He didn't go looking for it. But, beloved, the reality is it found him. It found him while he was being faithful. It found him while he was being truthful. He wasn't looking for trouble. He was just looking to be faithful. Trouble found him. But the trouble that found Jesus was the trouble that John Lewis talked about. Good trouble. Good trouble. John chapter 7 is Jesus in good trouble. Last week we looked at John 7, and at 30, verses 37 and 39, we saw where Jesus declared, declared his divine messiahship on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And what he said there in verses 37 and 39, what he said there The Bible says, cause, his words caused a stir. And though they were clear, and though they were gracious, to many they were controversial. And what we have in our text this morning, verses 40 through 52, what we have is the response of those who witnessed and listened to Jesus on that day. Jesus was just being Jesus. Okay? Don't miss that. Jesus was just being Jesus. Jesus was just proclaiming his Messiahship. Jesus was fulfilling his calling in the world. He was proclaiming his greatness. And yet, as usual, when the greatness of Jesus is proclaimed, three things happen. Always. They always happen. They happen in our text. They happen in your life. You just don't realize it, but you're going to realize it going forward. That whenever you proclaim faithfully Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he came to do, three things happen. Discussions, divisions, and decisions. All the time. Discussions, divisions, and decisions. And you see the discussions, don't you? It's plain. I'm not making this up. It's right there in the text. It's right there, plain. I don't give you that. The sermon is over. You can go find these three right there for yourself. But Bob wants more. (laughs) Discussions. After Jesus, you see that in the beginning in verse 40 down to 42, after Jesus had spoken so clearly and uniquely about whom he was and what he came to do, what happened? There arose much discussion and debate among those who heard him on that day. What's the discussion? See there, some said, right, others said, and still some more said. There's a whole talk going on. A lot of discussion about who Jesus is and what Jesus said he had come to do. Some heard the words of Jesus and admitted, wow, he must surely be a prophet. For only a prophet could speak words like that. Only a prophet could speak in terms as Jesus did. Some heard it and believed, I think he might be a little bit more than a prophet. I believe this might be the Christ. He could be the Messiah. He could be the one that we have been looking for. And others suggested, listening to that discussion and listening to that conversation, they chime in and say, well, he couldn't be the Messiah because the Messiah couldn't come from Galilee. Definitely not from Nazareth. That was out of the question so the discussions and the conversations were going on, and they were intense. The takes were hot. Everybody was talking about it, from from the view to first take to nightline, everywhere. Everywhere. Everybody want to talk about what Jesus said and what Jesus said he had come to do. We see, beloved, then, that questions and takes about Jesus are not new. Wherever Jesus is proclaimed, the world raises questions and offer commentary to try to blur the line of truth and lessen the conviction. You do understand, beloved, that there is no person in history who is more discussed, more debated, and more dissected than Jesus There is not an institution of higher learning in this world where the name of Jesus is not mentioned, where he is not questioned, where he is not discussed or debated. No one, no one has had more books written, more movies made, more theories suggested about who they are what they said, and what they did than Jesus. And today, today the questions are still arising. The question is who he is. What did he really say? Was he really crucified? Was he crucified on Thursday? Was he crucified on Friday? Was he black? Was he white? Was he some shade of gray? Was he buried? Where is he now? Questions, questions, questions. These questions are not new. Wherever Jesus is proclaimed, people discuss and debate. Jesus understood this in Matthew chapter 16. Right? Matthew chapter 16. Jesus understood that with The growing popularity that he was achieving, that the conversations around him was heating up. There was much discussion. There was much debate. And Jesus, in Matthew 16 and verse 13, Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? What did Stephen A. say? (laughs) What would Be Goldberg got to say? Notice the reply. The disciples said, well, in verse 14, well, some say you John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. And others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets conversations, debating, discussions, dissecting. But notice something here, beloved. Notice verse 15 in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was not interested in what some had to say or interested in what others had to say. He wanted to know what his disciples had to say. He wanted to know what Peter had to say. He wanted to know what James or John had to say. Listen, beloved, the conversation may be today between you and your neighbor, but ultimately the conversation is between you and Jesus. You may be having that conversation with your parent. You may be having that conversation with your child. But ultimately, Jesus wants to know what do you say? What do you say, Brother Brown? What do you say? What do you say this morning? Listen, beloved. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 reminds us that the cross of Christ is not to be debated. The cross of Christ is to be boasted in. The resurrection of Jesus is not for your arguing, Romans 4 and 25 says, but it is for your justification. What do you say? What do you say? Who do you say Jesus is? What do you believe? Discussions. Discussions, ultimately, though, lead to divisions, don't they? (laughs) They always do, particularly when it comes to discussions about Jesus. Lead to divisions, always and inevitably. And that's what happened in our text, in verse 43. So there was division among the people over him. There was division among the people about Jesus. As we said before, Jesus was gentle, Jesus was meek, and Jesus was mild. But he was also divisive and controversial. They didn't know what to do with him. They didn't know what to do with him. What do you do? What do you do, beloved, with a prophet who knows what's in your heart? What do you do with the prophet who, like the woman at the well, tells you all the things that have gone on and happened in your life? What do you do with the one who offers his body to eat and his blood to drink and says there is no eternal life apart from him? What do you do with the one who claims to have come from God And claims that he is returning back to God. What do you do with the one who says that he is Emmanuel? That he is God in the midst of his people. That he is the son of God. That he is God the son. What do you do with that? Well, some wanted to arrest him. Some wanted to arrest him. Some wanted to hear more from him. Others just plain didn't know what to do, and so they did nothing. But this is the effect that Jesus has, beloved. This is the effect that Jesus has upon this world. The more you talk about Jesus, the more divisive. The conversation gets just talk about Jesus a little bit, and there won't be too much division. Keep talking. Keep talking about Jesus. The more you talk about Jesus, the more the dividing lines come. This is why. This is why people say it's not polite to talk about religion in public. Why? Because we don't want the division. Because the more you talk, the more divisive it becomes. And this happened with Jesus. This happened with Jesus. The longer Jesus went on in his ministry, the more divisive it would get. The more divisive it would get. And this is true, beloved, because the reality is, is that the gospel message has a sharp pointed end to it. It has a sharp pointed end to it. It is wide. It is wide at the beginning as people begin to come into it. But as you get deeper into it, you realize that that tip gets pointed as God begins to separate the sheep from the goats, it gets pointed as he begins to separate the wheat from the tares, it gets more pointed as Christ declares. In John chapter 17 and 16, that he is separating believers from the world. It gets more poignant as Christ separates himself from everything and everyone else. In John 14 and verse 6, here is the point. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That is as narrow, beloved, as it gets. That is as divisive as it Jesus here is reminding us that there are a lot of ways to be wrong about Jesus. There is only one way to be right by grace, through faith in Jesus alone. This is the Christ who divides division in the world. He divides his people from the world. He separates and divides himself from everything and everyone else. But the flip side of that, the flip side of that, is that he reminds us that he who divides is also he who unites. And so that he divides all the sheep from the goats, but he unites all the sheep. He separates his people from the world, but then he unites all his people. He who causes division is also the root and ground of our unity. And though he separates us from the world, he unites us as one in him all christians therefore are one in christ all christians one in christ this is what christ prayed for this is what he prayed for right in john 17 verse 11 right that we would be one even as the son and the father as are one this is what he this is what the bible says that is accomplished by christ through the spirit In Romans chapter 12 and and verse 5, In Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. So that we may disagree. We may disagree on a lot of things, beloved. Okay, the division starts out there, stops out there, in Christ. Christians are one. That doesn't mean we don't disagree. We can disagree on a lot of things. Some of y'all voted for Obama, and some of y'all voted for Trump. Some of y'all voted for both of them. Some of y'all believe that baptism can be accomplished with a little bit of water, and some of us are more biblical and think that you need much water. Some of y'all believe that you could take wine at communion, and some of y'all think that Jesus turned the water into grape juice. <laughs> no matter. No matter. Listen to me this morning. No matter. No matter. Our unity is not because we agree on communion. Our unity is not because we agree on baptism or the ballot box. Our unity is in Christ. Our unity is in Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Our unity is because we are in Christ. In Christ. In Christ, I belong to you and you belong to me. You can't change that. You can't change that. No matter how much you may want to, no matter how much you may not like it, we may not always get along in this world, beloved, but guess what? We are united in Christ. We are one in Christ. And you can't stop me from belonging to Christ any more than I can stop one of my brothers or sisters being my mother's child. And sometimes I wish I could. (laughs) My mother had nine children. Seven boys and two girls. And as you can imagine, there was much bickering and fighting. And even at our age, there are, and I'm one of the youngest, there is still much bickering, and fighting. When I look at them, I'm reminded that you may not like me. You may not like what I say. You may not like what I do. But you can't stop me from being my mother's child. And that means I belong to you, and you belong to me. Listen, beloved. There is much debate in the body of Christ. And today, today, the intensity of it seems like the lines are so drawn and the conversation so intense that these things are insurmountable. But believe me when I say, all those in Christ are the Father's children. Whether you like it or not, they belong to Jesus. And if you trusted in Jesus this morning, then you belong to him too. We are one in Christ. One in him. He separates the the sheep from the goats. And then he says, the sheep are all one. They all belong to me. They're all mine. And I'm not losing one of them. Divisions. Discussions. You know what they lead to? Decisions. Keep talking about Jesus. It's gonna be a divide. There's gonna be a divide. Because you gotta decide. You gotta decide what you're gonna do with him. He don't leave you the option of doing nothing. You gotta decide what you're going to do with him. You have to decide whose side are you on? After all the discussions and after all the lines of division are drawn, the divisions are drawn, the final question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because Jesus always demands a decision. Always. Always. Just earlier in chapter 6, when he he spoke to to Peter and the disciples in 6 and verse 37, he asked Peter, are you going to go away too? you got to decide right now what you're going to do. When he spoke to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 and verse 22, he spoke to the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler had to make a decision. Beloved, everyone, everyone, everyone who comes in contact with Jesus after all the discussion is over, has to make a decision. Every time you come to church, every time, beloved, whether you, are real, you realize it or not, every time you come to church and you hear the gospel proclaimed, when you leave here, you have to make a decision. When the officers heard Jesus, they made their decision. They decided they weren't gonna arrest him, that was their decision. We are not touching him. I don't care what those chief priests and those Pharisees said. We are not touching that. When they got back and the Pharisees saw that they didn't arrest Jesus, then the Pharisees made their decision. They decided that anyone who believed in Jesus was unsophisticated, unlearned, and in fact, had to be cursed. The Pharisees themselves decide anyone is foolish to have anything to do with this fellow Jesus. And we would never, ever have anything to do with Jesus. But then came Nicodemus, and Nicodemus spoke up and said, Ah, not so fast, my friend. Not so fast. For apparently, Nicodemus had come to a different conclusion. He was making a different decision. While others mocked Jesus, Nicodemus decided it was time to stand up for Jesus. It was time to speak up for truth, and in speaking up for truth, to speak up for Jesus. Look at verse 50 of chapter 7. tells us some important facts about Nicodemus. Fact number one, that he had already had a discussion with Jesus. He'd already had the discussion with Jesus. In John chapter 3 and verse 14, no doubt Nicodemus remembered Jesus saying, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, Nicodemus, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus Had the discussions, Nicodemus felt the weight of the division. Nicodemus understood that conversation with Jesus required a decision. Second thing we learn about him is that he was learned and sophisticated. That he was one of the Pharisees. That he belonged to the council that he knew the law, but more importantly, he knew Jesus. And it was time, it was time right there in that public arena for Nicodemus to make a decision to decide to speak up for Jesus. Now, beloved, I don't know how long it was between the encounter that Nicodemus had with Jesus at night in John chapter 3 and this encounter at the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7. But during that time, Nicodemus, no doubt, had sat there on that council with all those other Pharisees and listen, listen to all the discussions about Jesus. Listen to all the debate about Jesus. Listen as they dissected who Jesus is and what Jesus was doing. You know what he reminds reminds me of, beloved? He reminds me this morning that there is a tightrope, no doubt, That there is a balancing act, no doubt, that you often have to navigate in this world as a Christian. You have to navigate this at work. You have to figure out, okay, okay, do I get in that discussion or do I not? You have to navigate that at work. You have to navigate that at home. Some of us live with unbelievers, and you have to figure out, okay, just when do I take the moment to speak up, or when do I just hold my peace? You have to navigate that at school, for Jesus is not the most popular subject, and if you were to be one of those Jesus people, you would not be the most popular person, and you have to navigate that. You have to navigate that on the Internet, though most of us do not navigate it very well. You have to navigate that on the Internet. Every conversation doesn't need your input. But at some point, beloved, at some point, at some point, however, you will have to decide. At some point, you're going to have to make a decision. At some point, the discussion and the debate is going to reach a point that it requires you to decide what you're going to do. What are you willing to do for Jesus? What are you willing to say for Jesus? Where are you willing to go for Jesus? What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus What will it take for you to stand up for Jesus? What is it going to take? At some point, you're going to have to let the world know that you love Jesus, that you worship Jesus, that you trust and hope in Jesus. I think it was Lionel Harris who asked the question, right? Do you love my Jesus? Let me see your hand. Do you love my Jesus? Take a stand. Do you love Him? Then all in favor, say I, I, I. 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 Do you love Him? Then all in favor, say I. I. Here was Nicodemus. He was beginning to raise his hand. By the time Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus had it full in the air. I. Are you willing to raise your hand this morning? What will it take? Do you love him? Do you know him? Do you worship him? Let all in favor. Say "Aye." Let's pray.